<clears throat> so it looks like that some people are still at the COVID test, but I'm going to start with a guided meditation. And uh, you know, this afternoon I'd like to offer a guided meditation on the seven factors of awakening. And they are also called the anti-hindrances because they... Anti-hindrances? Okay. All right. Anti-hindrances. And uh, because they are, you know, they, they can take the hindrances as a soil, as a food, and then you know, as soon as we are noticing that a hindrance is present in the mind, in this moment there is mindfulness, there is sati or awareness. And then if we're aware of a hindrance being present, greed or aversion or doubt, as soon as we are aware of it, we are no longer caught in the hindrance. And then, you know, the, those seven factors of awakening are seven qualities in the mind which can be developed and are developed through practice. And I'd like to start with a poem by, the, by one of the awakened bhikkhunis. And I'm, I'm reading first, I'm reading the original from the Pali Canon, the, from the Terigata, from the chapter of the tools. And then I read a contemporary reimagination by our friend Maddie Weingast. So that's in the chapter of the tools, verses of the elder Chenta. Her name is Chenta. And she says, these seven factors of awakening are the path for attaining nirvana. I have developed all of them as taught by the Buddha. I have seen the magnificent one. This is my last body. Destroyed is rebirth in samsara. Now there is no coming back to any state of being. This chanta, the elder, spoke. And then the contemporary reimagination. Chanta, conqueror. I was forever getting lost until one day the Buddha told me to walk this path you will need seven friends. Mindfulness, curiosity, courage, joy, calm, stillness, and perspective. For many years, these friends and I have traveled together, sometimes wandering in circles, sometimes taking the long way around. There were days when I thought I couldn't go on. There were days when I thought I was finally beaten. It's scary to give all of yourself to just one thing. What if you don't make it? Oh, my heart, you don't have to go it alone. Train yourself to train just a little more gently. So that's one way how we can, you know, look at the practice and at the qualities of the mind, of the heart, of the chitta, which getting, you know, strengthened and developed to complete perfection through 
the practice. And that means, you know, that the mind becomes more strong and more sensitive at the same time. So the mind is able, you know, to connect with a much wider and deeper experience. And through that deepening and widening, it is able to see connections and, uh, you know, seeing conditionality. And that seeing translates in uh, understanding and letting go. So again, you know, we need to put the conditions in place and then the process itself is a natural occurrence. We don't have to make it happen. Just like a tree, you know, is growing or a flower is blossoming. We don't need to pull at the tree or at the petals. It won't work. But we need to care for the situation and then it's just going to take place. And same with these seven factors of awakening. And I'm going to give you a little tour, little guided tour, how they occur in the mind, that they're already there. Just need to look. So find a posture you can sustain for 50 minutes or so. A posture which is relaxed and alert at the same time. And you know, bring to mind your motivation, your aspiration while you are practicing. And then coming back to the body, full body awareness. And allowing the mind to rest on the body, just as the body rests on the cushion or on the chair. Pointing the mind at the present moment experience in a receptive way. You know, you don't have to hunt after your experience, but allow your experience to fill the mind, mindfulness. It's the first of the seven factors of awakening, sati, mindfulness or awareness. Any moment, you know, we remember to come back to present moment experience, there is sati. In the female language, it's a, it's a, uh, in the, sorry, in the Pali language, it's a female noun. So that gives it, you know, that extra 
remembering it's it's a receptive kind of mindfulness an openness a willingness you know to receive what's happening right now and then there's you know awareness mindfulness taking an interest in our experience how is the breath that's already the second factor of awakening, which is Dhamma-vichaya uh, in the Pali language. can be translated as interest, curiosity, or investigation of Dhammas, would be the literal translation. So taking an interest in our experience, wanting to know how is the breath, Then you're not really staying with the experience that requires some energy. That's the third factor of awakening. Virya, energy. Sometimes also translated as courage. The, the capacity to sustain what we are doing. To sustain awareness, to stay with the object we have chosen, which is the body breathing. So now, you know, but just simply paying attention to the present moment with some interest, we already, you know, have connected with the first three factors of awakening, which is sati, mindfulness, tamavichaya, interest, and virya, energy. Just sustaining the application of the mind, staying with the present moment experience. And you know, in that way, there's some tension is released, and there's just a smoothening of the process and a certain amount of maybe well being or contentment. A subtle kind of joy becomes available. That's the fourth factor of awakening, pity. Just if the mind, you know, cooperates and, you know, willing to stay with the object, or at least, you know, willing to come back whenever we notice that the mind has wandered off. So that's the first four factors already.
And if you can't access, you know, any amount of joy or contentment, you could also reflect on, uh, you know, the fact of the great good fortune to be able to be here on retreat. You know, that we are keeping the precepts, that we have, you know, made contact with the Buddha's path that can give us a sense of uh, joy. You know, even there's maybe still a lot of uncertainty about the path, but knowing, you know, we are going in the right direction. That's wonderful. And if there's like a certain amount of subtle joy or contentment, you can just, you know, allow the mind to go on and not getting involved. There might be thoughts and all kinds of sensations, but just, you know, staying with the present moment experience and allowing the mind to calm down. That's the fifth factor of awakening, Basadi, calm. That's, you know, the, the result of the uh, subtle joy. There's a sense of enrichment and a sense of connection there with our experience and then the mind just settles down. Fifth factor of awakening, Asadi. And if the mind comes down, then, you know, the fragmentation disappears and the mind comes together, becomes collected stable, composed, focused, that's samadhi, the sixth factor of awakening. Sometimes it's also translated as concentration. And we can compare it when we want to make a bonfire. You know, we have to go around and collect pieces of wood and put them all on a big heap, that kind of, you know, collecting the mind together. And then, you know, once the mind is really collected and stable, then, you know, we are really connected with our experience yet spacious and balanced. And the definition in the scriptures for that is 
dwelling free from desire and discontent. So the mind is really able to stay with the experience, not wanting to be somewhere else. You know, not hankering after anything. That's the last of the seven factors of awakening. Upeka or equipoise. That's a, you know, a balance towards our own mind states. There's also Opeka as a, as a Brahma Vihara, which is more, you know, a certain kind of balance in relationship to the mind states of others or, of, you know, phenomena which come towards us from outside, quote-unquote. So that's a, you know, a, sometimes it's compared with a bird's eye view onto our experience having a you know, greater perspective, seeing things in connection, seeing the conditionality. The deepening and widening of our experience. And from that stability... You know, the mind is capable of uh, strength, having stronger mindfulness or awareness. And that, again, you know, brings more capacity for investigation. That kind of arouses some energy, which then, you know, brings a certain amount of a subtled joy or contentment. And so it's like a spiral, you know, going ever deeper into reality. So one factor, you know, uh, strengthens the next one. And we can come, you know, do one round of the factors, the seven factors of awakening, and then another one, and another one is getting deeper and deeper as those factors get more and more strengthened, the mind gets more capable for experiencing subtleties which it normally cannot experience. And in particular, you know, being able to see conditionality And then the mind is you know, capable to really be connected with experience in the present moment, yet spacious and balanced. You know, not being hijacked by experience, but being able to hold space and allowing experience to arise and cease in that space.
but not in a in a disconnected manner, but having a sense of perspective on experience. For example, you know, if something arises and there's enough space to also bring in the reflection, this is impermanent, which, you know, makes every experience a teaching. And we can choose that if there is enough strength in the mind. Otherwise, the mind is just like a leaf in the wind, get blown about left and right. And, you know, from the seventh factor of awakening, upeka, equipoise, you know, we can uh, connect with the spaciousness of a mind, which is supremely balanced. And the spaciousness, you know, which doesn't end at the walls of this hall and we can listen into the spaciousness into the silence and then allow the mind to really open wide and still also staying connected with the body So when we are breathing in, we are aware of the body sitting and breathing. And when we are breathing out, we are relaxing out into the spaciousness. And if you notice your mind, you know, wanders off thinking about something, you know, wanting to get its teeth into some kind of identity, then as soon as you're noticing it, gently letting that go and coming back to the spaciousness and the body. And allowing the mind, you know, to expand by using the spaciousness immeasurable space as an object, so to say. You know, not thinking about it, but just, you know, rather listening to the space.
So whenever the mind, you know, gets caught up in something, just gently coming back to the spaciousness. immeasurable space and then you know as a next step we let go of the spaciousness of this immeasurable space and becoming aware of that which is aware of space that which knows about the space which is like, you know, dropping perception of space and turning the awareness towards itself. Being aware of awareness or being conscious of awareness. So dropping the object and subject being aware of itself. And again, you know, not starting to think about it, just allowing that to drop in and allowing the mind to do what it can do. Just being awareness, uh, being the knowing, being conscious of awareness. There's many ways how it can be described. It's the utter simplicity of just being aware. Being aware of hearing, being aware of breathing, being aware of thinking. Just the fundamental nature of the mind, knowing or awareness, empty awareness. Then you know, sometimes a thought might come up, you know, I'm aware. And then if that comes up, dropping that too, there's no ego, there's nobody controlling this. This is just awareness itself. Or awareness as such. That's the, the refuge of Buddha. The, the refuge in knowing what is occurring rather than becoming it. So no, sub, no object, no subject, just pure awareness or knowing.
the empty knowing. And that's what we call a temporary liberation of the mind. The mind is not contracted around any object, just empty. Like the wide open sky, there might still be some, you know, clouds moving through, but we don't need to do anything about those clouds. They just do their thing. We don't need to get involved. I'm consciously experiencing the empty knowing for what it is. You're not getting familiarizing with this experience or familiarizing with that which is actually at the root of all experience. And if the mind wanders off and you know gets really kind of involved in some kind of a story, we can just you know start again at the beginning by noticing there's a hindrance has arisen, you know setting up mindfulness, some interest, energy, and you know the whole spiral of the seven factors of awakening. And then from Upeka or Equipoise, this very spacious yet connected mind, we, you know, come back to the immeasurable space and then, you know, dropping the space and becoming aware of that which knows about the space, letting go of any identification with that and just simply consciously Resting in awareness, being the knowing. Acquiring that uh, familiarity with the true nature of the mind, which is simple knowing, empty knowing. which is also uh, called, you know, the true, the, the refuge in Buddha.
in this capacity which we all share as, as human beings. And you know, through repetition of this kind of practice, we uh, are developing more confidence in this capacity which we all share. And it's uh, it's uh, has a very you know it's this utter simplicity, which can only be you know recognized if the mind is reasonably sensitized and calm. And that spaciousness of the you know wide open awareness can give you know room to all kinds of phenomena changing. And it's very clear there's nothing worth being or having. It's all changing. And you know, having no agenda besides this fluidity, allowing that change to be what it is. Not rejecting anything, not getting involved, just being the knowing of whatever is happening. No need to interfere with what's happening, no need to get involved. Something that needs to be done, it can be done after the session. And being aware of how peaceful that is. And, you know, that's a temporary liberation of the mind. When you know all of the hindrances have gone into abeyance, just for now, 
the latent tendencies are still there, but they are at the moment, they're quiet. And they give us a, a taste, you know, of the goal of the practice. When, you know, all of these materials, all of these limitations have been through insight, uh, through purification process, have been released. There's no more pushing and pulling. So that just gives us a, a taste. And my first teacher called it a little Nibbana. And it's really, you know, very conducive to savor those moments when the mind is peaceful. And that happens many times during the day, but it often we don't notice it. And that peacefulness of the mind is not a frozen, you know, state by kind of keeping things out, but it's a fluid wide open like the sky. Nothing to protect, nothing to defend. Allowing. There's an openness within all of what's happening. Not clinging, not holding on to. If there's no clinging, there's no dukkha. There's the spaciousness and also the connection with our present moment experience. It's not a spacing out, but it's a
deeper and wider experience. And it's those seven friends, yeah, which uh, Bikuni Chenta in this uh, poem, you know, is speaking about. Which, you know, every experience which can happen, pleasant or unpleasant, or neutral, can be understood in connection with those seven friends. And then whatever experience it is, it always gonna yield liberation as its essence because what is revealed is the impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and emptiness of all experiences, of all phenomena, no matter what the story is, good or bad, It's just something extra. It's like a personal opinion. Which is conditioned. And it's not about, you know, not valuing that personal opinion, but seeing it for what it is. As a result of conditioning, not as a ultimate truth or anything which is unchanging. In order, you know, to really practice in this way, we need to honor both sides of the coin of the experience, the personal and the ultimate. They are complementary, you know, on the path towards full liberation from all that limits the mind. And the heart.
and then for the you know for the remainder of the meditation we can just come back to paying attention to impermanence you know even the mind you know experiences itself like in a very wide open space temporary liberation from all of the hindrances then the time comes when the session ends and at the ending you know of anything it's always good to really reflect on the fact that things are ending whatever a meal a lifetime a meditation session everything which has a beginning has an ending And connecting with the, the body breathing. And with the in-breath, you know, bringing up the contemplation, this could be my last breath. And with the out-breath, you know, relaxing. That, that contemplation of mortality is a really the cutting edge of uh, impermanence. And allowing that uh, consideration, you know, of this could be my last breath, allowing that to turn the mind towards the Dhamma, rather than getting, you know, lost in a hundred thousand things. And, you know, some of them, they need to be done. But, you know, knowing... bigger picture 
you know, putting like a frame around our experience, which highlights that which really matters. When we, you know, lie on our deathbed, you know, what would we like to have done with this lifetime? That's a, a very healthy consideration to entertain. And before it's too late. This openness and uh, spaciousness, and that's really the medicine we need to bring into our lives. You know, not in order to have a different experience, but to have a perspective on our experience. That's what is you know, making a difference. And that's where we do have a choice. And then also experiences, you know, to start to change. I'm going to now read the reimagination one more time. Chanta, conqueror. I was forever getting lost until one day the Buddha told me to walk this path, you will need seven friends. Mindfulness, curiosity, courage, joy, calm, stillness, and perspective. For many years, these friends and I have traveled together, sometimes wandering in circles, sometimes taking the long way around. There were days when I thought I couldn't go on. There were days when I thought I was finally beaten. It's scary to give all of yourself to just one thing, What if you don't make it? Oh, my heart, you don't have to go it alone. Train yourself to train just a little more gently. 
you know, and that the capacity for gentleness also comes from really, you know, understanding how the practice works. Having confidence in the practice, having confidence in impermanence, you know, and having, uh, you know, identified those seven qualities in our own mind. And then, you know, really knowing what needs to be trained. And it's not, it's not rocket science, really. But it needs a real, you know, uh, dedication and uh, endurance, uh, application, and a, a certain amount of, you know, renunciation to really stay with the process. And then coming back to it, you know, again and again and again. And not having too high expectations, you know, for something happening too quick. So the gentleness is very important, but it's not like a, a kind of wishy-washy gentleness, you know. It's it's a gentleness which comes from clarity. <laughs> 